You're listening to Nonprofit Confidential, episode number 17. Hey there, welcome back to Nonprofit Confidential. I'm your host, Sheila Nimishakavi, and I'm the founder of Third Suite, which is a company that offers courses and consulting services specifically for nonprofit organizations. So as the founder of Third Suite, I often get asked why I started this company and how I got involved with the nonprofit sector to begin with. Recently, I was asked to be on the show Chats with Chelsea, which features women leaders from a wide variety of fields. So today's episode is a little unique because I'm flipping the script. Instead of me interviewing nonprofit talent, I'm sharing an interview that I did with Chelsea from Chats with Chelsea. We go way back and start from the beginning of my story and what led me here to Third Suite today. It was honestly so much fun to record this interview, so I truly hope you enjoy it and learn a little more about the person behind the microphone. Without further ado, here is my interview on Chats with Chelsea. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Chats with Chelsea. I am thrilled that you've joined us here uh, for today's episode. I have an amazing guest for us today, another fellow woman leader. She is the president of Third Suite, which is a consulting firm. She contributes to the nonprofit quarterly. Uh, which she has some great articles out there. She is also has her own podcast called Nonprofit Confidential, and we're fellow Junior League members. So Chats with Chelsea Community, help me in welcoming Sheila to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Sheila, I mean, it feels like we were just having brunch a few weeks ago. I think it's been some months there at Maple and Pine, and I'm just thrilled that you are here in the studio, so thank you so much for joining me. Oh gosh, thank you so much for having me. So let's just jump right in. So you went to school, you have an MPH, you have a BS in neurology. Um, how did you start there and now you're like all things nonprofit? <laughs> <laughs> yes, everyone always asks that, it's so funny. Um, so yeah, so my background in undergrad was neurobiology and went into undergrad thinking I was going to be pre-med and do the whole doctor thing. That was just my dream since I was a kid. Wow. And okay. got to undergrad and I hated it. <laughs> Absolutely hated it. Um, but I was volunteering at the time at a student-run free clinic. Okay. Um, and one of our projects was to get prescriptions for people who are experiencing homelessness. That was mm. the main population served by our clinic. And I ended up working on a really cool project. Um, we were able to get prescription vouchers from the Target Pharmacy. And, you know, I really saw the benefits of creating a system of change as opposed to helping people one-on-one. -on -one. And that kind of started okay. shifting the way I was thinking about healthcare from one-on-one -on -one patient care to if I take a step back and I can change glitches in the system, I can impact a lot more people. And so from there, I decided to do a public health degree, moved out to Boston from California, and um, learned all about the systems and okay. how laws are passed, how advocacy helps. Um, and after I graduated from that program, I got my, um, I decided to kind of jump right in, and I did an AmeriCorps year. 
and I worked at a nonprofit organization serving people um, with disabilities. It was a mentoring okay. program, and um, from there I just fell in love with the sector, <laughs> which sounds really weird, but it it really opened my eyes to um, you know how the nonprofit sector fills in gaps where the other two sectors can't. Yeah. So you have your for-profit industry that's very focused on bottom line. And the government sector that, you know, change administrations, you can't always affect the change long term that you would like to see. So the nonprofit sector, sometimes called the third sector, is really the, the only player in this game who can see the results long term and has, um, is more just invested in the outcomes. You know, as I'm listening to you, it's so amazing to hear because as you were sharing, you wanted to be a doctor. That was about service, right? And about helping people. And so you still are following that which was always on the inside of you. It just took a different route. And I think that's so important for us to recognize, one as women, that you know what we're passionate about, where that passion may play out in a different way than what we expected. Um, and I appreciate your honesty of the fact that you know you went in and you always wanted to be a doctor, yet college showed you that Hey, that is not and for me it's a, a little bit similar because I always wanted to be a forensic pathologist and I dissected a frog and thought oh my gosh I can dissect humans and uh, yeah college helped me realize that that was, oh <laughs> that was yeah. not my passion so I was you know I was I was a little further off but you know but it's so great and so I appreciate you sharing that with us um, tell us about so you college uh, you came to this place of oh my gosh this sounded great but in reality this is just not for me you went and volunteered you did and you found where you were supposed to be so take us on your journey of how you got you were director of operations for an organization and now you ha you are the president of your own consulting firm so take us through that journey sure yeah so Kind of following the same path of starting out with thinking I wanted to do one-on-one -on -one patient care, then going into nonprofits. Um, even when I was working at a nonprofit organization, I felt like my passions were so wide-ranging. Okay. So even though I was working with one organization, I felt like I couldn't completely dedicate myself to one cause. I felt like there was more in me that I wanted to explore. I wanted to have an impact on multiple different organizations and causes at the same time. And so when I heard of consulting for nonprofits, it seemed like the perfect combination because it's you get to combine the service angle, you get to combine kind of looking at a, looking at the system and figuring out how to fix those glitches. Um, and we get to work with so many organizations at the same time. So that's true. <laughs> as soon as I heard about it, I was like, yep, that's it. That's what I've been waiting for. <laughs> Were you afraid? Were you nervous? To oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm so scared. <laughs> I actually, it took a really long time for me to actually take the leap and do consulting full time. Okay. I started out, um, when I was in Boston, I kind of had a little side hustle taking on like one or two clients here or there. Um, and then I ended up meeting my husband out in Boston okay. and he got his first job in Virginia. So when we moved here, I was kind of just looking for stability. So. I got a job at a nonprofit organization in town and I really loved my coworkers. It was so fun and so safe. Um, but my husband at the time was like, you know, you've always talked about consulting and you seem to kind of be settling. 
and you know, it's kind of definitely called me out. Yes, and, I like it. You know, <laughs> you definitely need people in your life that are going to call you out. And, um, you know, we talked about it, and we were just like, if there's ever a chance to do it, we're, you know, married, no kids. If, if I was going to do it, now's the time to do it. So, um, yeah, so I kind of, I, I gave my notice to my, my boss of the last organization that I worked for. Okay. And she was very supportive. They became my first client, and from there, it just kind of started to grow. So, it was definitely a very scary jump, but I think there are like little steps you can take to make yourself feel a little bit more safe in the process. <laughs> <laughs> so when you gave your resignation letter to your former boss, did you have clients ready? No. <laughs> I had you know, pretty, I've been working in the sector for about 10 years. So I had contacts and all of my close friends work in nonprofits and um, you know, they were very supportive. Um, so as soon as I took the leap and formed an organization, I had people that were, um, you know, I feel like once people hear what you're doing, they're like, oh, I know someone, or oh, here's, here's my friend, or I want to start something on my own. So your network starts to grow as soon as you kind of put it out there in the universe that this is what you're doing. And so how long has that been, Sheila? Um, it'll almost be two years. How have you handled, you know, for the women out there who are watching, who are tuning in right now? Um, I mean, you took a huge leap, right? Um, you know, not this client book, like already solidified with these contracts and you said, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm passionate about. How have you sustained yourself mentally, emotionally? Because uh, as business owners, we know that each day is based off of you know what you were able to fight for what you were able to get the, the previous day so how has that been as how has it been oh gosh that's a really good question <laughs> it's really makes you like stop and think like I can't believe I did that you know <laughs> um, it seems so risky now that I look back on it but at the same time I think um, I think at a certain point you kind of reach that point of pain where if I don't do it now, like I have to do it right now. Like I don't care what it takes, this has to happen for my life to go the way that I want it to go. So I think I had like reached that pain point where mm. staying where I was was no longer pleasurable to me, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like staying, working my nine to five job wasn't gonna make me um, the person that I wanted to be in the future. So. At some point, you have to like rip the bandaid off, and so you did that, that. That was it. That was just you know, let's just see what happens. And I always kind of knew in the back of my head, if I completely bomb, if this thing does not work out, the worst thing that will happen is I'll just go back to getting a nine to five job. I love that you had that in the back of your mind because I think so often we are afraid of failure, mm -hmm. and you know, to the point that you just made, that's something that my husband has all he always pushes me. Okay well, what's the worst that can happen, mm -hmm. right? And if that's the worst, are you willing to take the risk for the worst? And I think so many women need to, if being an entrepreneur, business owner, president of their own consulting firm is where they want to be, it is, okay, I can succeed or I can fail. Am I willing to take this risk? Mm -hmm. um, and you decided to take the risk. And so how have you been able to keep going each day? Like every day of being a business owner is not, fun and you know it's not fun how have you moved how how do you push yourself during those tough days 
I think having a support network really helps. Um, my sister and I are incredibly close, so okay. you know, whenever I'm, if I come out of a client meeting and I'm upset, I can text her, give her a call, and have someone to kind of bounce that off of. Um, and my husband, like I said, he's the one for tough love. So <laughs> when I'm getting too deep into my own pity party, he kind of like snaps me back out of it. That's awesome. So I think having the balance of the two people that I'm closest to um, has really helped keep me grounded and keep me focused on what truly matters. Um, but yeah, there are those days you wake up, you're like, why am I doing this again? Like, why didn't I stay in my nice, safe job where I love my coworkers and we all had lunch together every day <laughs> while I'm like shoving a salad in my car trying to like make it to the next client meeting. <laughs> there are definitely those, those days. Um, but you know, I, I'm not sure if, um, have you ever heard of Simon Sinek? He has this like, mm -hmm. he has a book called Start, Start With Why. Okay. Um, and he talks about like really figuring out why, before you even figure out how to do something, he's talking about like figure out why you're doing it. And you know, having worked in the field for a long time, my why was like very solidified. I knew exactly why I was doing what I wanted to do okay. and the impact that, um, that I saw the sector having long term. And so for me, my why was always just leave my mark on the sector. I just so truly believe in, in the power of nonprofit organizations. So every day that, you know, even if it's a really crappy day, if I have a conversation with someone and they said, hey, you know, you helped us build a database and now we're able to do X, Y, Z, just keeping those little tidbits in the back of your head as little successes that can get you through, through those tough days. <laughs> I love that. Awesome. So that's your book recommendation to the ladies, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, such a good book. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Sheila, you have your why, but over the two years, how have you been able to figure out how to run a business? So much trial and error, and just constantly soaking up information from people. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like every single person you meet has something to teach you, and it's, it's kind of funny because when you think back on these little conversations you've had with people, it really ended up leading to such pivot points in, you know, in your life or in your business. So for me, um, I ended up meeting one of my, I met a girl at a wedding who was starting her own um, medical practice. And so she ends up reaching out to a small business association where she lived. And I'd never even heard of that before. And I was like, well, you know, I'm interested in starting a business. I'm gonna contact the small business association where I live. And from there I met a mentor and she helped me come up with the name Third Suite and then kind of helped me learn what a business plan was and how to get started. And then, you know, everything kind of just like spirals off from there, you know, it's so like little, you don't really even realize it at the time that it's happening, but these little conversations can really make a huge difference. Tell us what your consulting firm focuses on for nonprofits. Sure. Um, so right now we're offering kind of a suite of services. So okay. bookkeeping and administration, um, fundraising assistance, and database optimization. So the database platform that we mainly focus on is Salesforce. Um, but even for organizations that you know Salesforce isn't a good fit for, we kind of help them figure out what is the best database for them to use. Um, and yeah, from there we're kind of branching out. I, I clearly I love to think big picture, so <laughs> we're uh, stepping back and doing some um, creating some courses as well. Wow, that's awesome. And you have a podcast. Non-confidential, non-profit confidential. <laughs> yes, that was putting everything together. Non-profit confidential. Tell us the why behind the podcast. 
Sure. So, <laughs> um, okay. So what I noticed was a lot of times nonprofits would get information from consultants mm-hmm. and the information that we as consultants offer can sometimes be theoretical. It's, it's not always um, specific to the organization. So for instance, as a consultant, I can come out and declare best practices, but for a really small organization, that may not be a good fit or they may not have the capacity to actually um, implement the ideas that you're sharing with them. So I created Nonprofit Confidential to be a platform for nonprofits to offer their you know, insider tips and hacks to other nonprofit organizations. Um, you know, I feel like us in the sector, we can get very creative <laughs> with the you know, budgetary constraints and all these other constraints that are put upon us. So um, a lot of organizations have found very creative ways to become successful in what they do. One thought that comes to mind is I love that you have the podcast. Um, I think that it's so important as you were just sharing for nonprofits and just to understand um, for nonprofit leaders to understand that it's not one size fits all sometimes for the solutions that they need. How do you balance, if at all, giving advice and still being able to gain business? Right, because mm-hmm. someone could come to your podcast. Um, I was listening to an episode last night, very informative because you did a mini series on fundraising. And if I listen to the podcast, I could go take it and implement it. How do you keep yourself in the mix? That's a really good question. Um, for me, I've always thought about it as the better the sector is, the more people we can help, or you know. If it's not people, it's you know animals, whoever. <laughs> better, you know, everyone will be better. <laughs> um, so I've always thought that you know if I could share this information, I don't think it's competition or it's gonna mean I'm no longer relevant. Maybe it means my business model pivots. Maybe it just means I podcast full time, which would be amazing. <laughs> I would love to do that. So um, yeah, I feel like you know if if I can help people elevate their fundraising game, then that means maybe the project that I help them on is the next level, like getting from, you know, here, and maybe now they listen to the podcast, they're here, I want to take them even further. And, um, you know, if, if they can get that much information out of my podcast, that would just be so amazing. <laughs> well, I love that, you know, because sometimes it seems that, especially as business owners, for whatever sector we may be in, we are concerned, though, about competition mm-hmm. and putting ourselves out of business. And so I just love that in you of, you want to share. You want to help. Um, and I think that I, I asked a question to just pull some, pull more out of you. <laughs> yet, for the you know, for the most part, what I have learned is that even with information, people still are going to rely on a consultant, a strategist, someone who may be the expert to help them actually implement it, even though they may have the understanding of yeah. it. Um, because also, as you think about nonprofits. This third sector, you know, Sheila, most of most nonprofits are smaller, right? Yeah. And so it's the resources, and so they still need someone like you. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of organizations, they know what to do. It's like you said, is having the capacity to actually implement it. You know, if if there's, you can have all the fundraising knowledge in the world, but if they don't have the person to actually do the fundraising, you know, what can they really do? <laughs> <laughs> Call you. Exactly. <laughs> Call you, call you. So one of the things also is you are a contributor for the nonprofit quarterly. Was looking at some of your articles, just a wide range of topics. Tell us why you write 
how you got connected with nonprofit quarterly. And then the third question, third part of the question is why such a variety of topics? So nonprofit quarterly is such a great resource for nonprofit organizations. Um, I started reading it, you know, years ago when I had like first started out in my career just to figure out what the trends are. Um, the so nonprofit quarterly is itself a nonprofit. And they look at you know trends in the industry, but they also look at news stories. And um, our job as writers is to look at news articles and tease it apart, dissect it, and figure out how what they're talking about influences the nonprofit sector. Okay. So you know, for me, that was just the perfect um, you know mix of information. <laughs> There's kind of the angle of actually strengthening the sector, looking at um, news topics, and what can we learn from what's happened, not only in our own sector but also in popular culture and politics, and kind of pulling it all together. Because um, you know, at the end of the day, we don't operate in a silo. So it's true. You know, what happens in the world is going to impact the work that we do as well. So that part of it was just really interesting to me. And there's a tiny part of me that just really loves to write. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's so random, but okay. I've just always really loved writing. And um, it would just seem like such a good opportunity. So they were actually looking for writers. And I just was like, you know what, let's just see what happens. I've always loved writing. Um, it's been a strength of mine for a long time, so I figured I'd just give it a shot. <laughs> and so I threw it out there. They were very helpful. Um, they make me seem like a much, much, much better writer than I am. Their editors do a fantastic job. And it's been it's been such a cool like learning opportunity, Absolutely. not only you know as a writer, but also to just learn more about the sector. And it kind of makes me think about things in a new way. Mm -hmm. um, so it's such like a, a win-win opportunity that I get to hone in on this craft that I really enjoy and um, get to learn more about my sector and learn more critical thinking. <laughs> So you're just continuing to push yourself to grow, to develop. So president of Third Suite, you have nonprofit confidential. I got it right that time. <laughs> um, you write for the nonprofit quarterly. You're a wife. You're involved in the community because we're in junior league. How do you manage your time? How, how do you? How are you able to do that? Oh my gosh. I would say I don't manage my time very well. It does not feel that way most days. Um, but I am definitely, I'm someone who definitely really likes to keep learning and I'm not, I don't think I'm overly critical of myself, but I constantly like to analyze what I'm doing okay. um, to see how I can make it better. And one thing that I've learned that has been really helpful just managing all of these different um, you know, projects has been the system, um, David Allen's system called Getting Things Done. Okay. It's a, a super old book. Like the references in the book are from like the 80s and 90s. <laughs> but the system itself is actually really good. Um, and so he kind of talks about every time you figure out that you need to do something, have something on you where you can write it down. So for us these days, with our iPhones. <laughs> so as soon as I think of something, like quickly jot it down in there. And um, you know, kind of going through like a, a triage process almost of okay, you have like a, a place that you dump everything in, and then you have to figure out where it's going to fit in your calendar. And so moving everything from like a, a to do list that's just ongoing to your calendar, and 
once it's on the calendar, it's so weird. Like as soon as I get the ding on my phone, I'm like, oh my gosh, drop everything. I have to do this thing because I said I would. <laughs> no, you know, I'm the one who put it in there. Yeah. For some reason, it feels like much more official when it's coming from your iPhone. <laughs> and you get the reminder. Yes. That's awesome because I know sometimes I struggle with doing stuff for myself. Um, yeah. Yet, though, I mean, I think that that's a great way and an opportunity for women to be able to keep the commitments to themselves, keep their promises to themselves, because what we said and what we want to do and what we set in motion is important, too. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like especially with women, the pressure to kind of to do it all is just so great. And even if even if you're in a relationship where no one's telling you that you need to, you know, cook and put hot meals and do laundry and everything for some reason some of us I think feel just intrinsically like this is what we're supposed to be doing right you know probably just growing up in society that's those are the messages we hear you know so those days where I'm like working until 10 p.m. and there's piles and piles of dishes that are you know right in front of me um, you can begin to feel really bad but I think that once you learn a better system for managing expectations and figuring out what you can really do in a day um, using the calendar kind of forces you almost to track your time so you can see like no I've been working 12 hours today it's okay that the dishes are not done there's a reason for that not just you know watching Real Housewives all day although that just happens <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest <laughs> you know so you, sometimes you have to have some me dates absolutely. right absolutely <laughs> I love that though about the expectations on women um, I know it's something that I face mm-hmm. as well, I'm still a newlywed because based off of Google, newlyweds are for Wikipedia. It's four years, so we're at three. So oh, I'm still, good. I'm still I'm at three too. We're good. I, I'm still a newlywed. <laughs> but one of the things that I really had to learn was I have to learn my husband mm-hmm. and what his expectations are. Right, and not that I'm going to meet all his expectations or that we're going to agree, but to learn them. Because to your point, I mean, for my husband and I, we figure out our meals for ourselves throughout the week yeah and then Friday is date night and that's when we're together and in the beginning I was so like oh my gosh I'm a wife I have to come home after work I have to cook <laughs> I have this hot meal on the table and I'm sure John wants me to cook probably a little <laughs> bit more but we, he's been very clear of no you have your place you have the things that you're passionate about and and so it's been so freeing of you know what what I saw on TV, you know, yeah. again, where they're working a nine to five or whatever it may be, and with the kids, right? We don't even have kids. <laughs> yeah, so it's like a whole other <laughs> layer. <laughs> and so it's for me, I can just share personally, it's just been freeing to have. For us, it's we're a team, right? And so yeah. some weeks he's done the dishes and the clothes, mm-hmm. right? And other weeks, okay, I'm in, right? But it's it's just been so freeing for me to have to to know what the expectations are right us to come to ingredients on that yeah Um, because it's helped me as a woman right it's helped me in my identity of what it means to be a wife and what it means to be a wife to john right because that may look different for you and your husband about what the expectations are and so that's such a good point that it's it's how to be a wife to your or how to be a partner to the person that you're with whether you know, maybe your agreement is, you know, woman stays home, does the dishes and everything else. Maybe right. it's, you know, she's the breadwinner and, you know, their partner stays home. <laughs> it looks different. It looks Wife different. is not just like a, a generic category. It's, it's specific to your relationship. I, I love, love that. It's such a good point. Yeah. It's, it's like, oh my, you know, in my mind, it's like, yes. You know, and for us as women to accept that, 
mm-hmm. and not allow TVs, the social media to define who we are in our house. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, for sure. So you go on Instagram and Pinterest and these people have like organic, non-GMO, this and that, and it looks beautiful and then they look <laughs> cute and it's like, how did you do that all in a day while also running a business and a blog and I mean, it's just not reality. It's not. It's not. Thank you for saying that. I'm so, so, so big on, probably talk about it almost every episode, just about social media and us not allowing it to define us and who we are, even our expectations, right? Yeah. You know, one of the things that's so important to me with uh, Chats with Chelsea is that we have these authentic, transparent conversations because what looks like, what a business owner looks like to you in your journey is going to be different from the next person I bring on and I just want women to know that they can take best practices they can take tips yet they have to make it their own journey because all the variables are not the same they may have kids right yeah so before they jump out they may need to have five secure clients you know exactly absolutely yeah and I love that it's so true you need to know you really need to know all of the details before you say like this is the person that I want to emulate or you know that's gonna be my mentor because it really does look very different and social media really allows people to kind of glamorize owning a business in a way like the whole idea of like hustling like I'm gonna go work 12 hours a day and it makes it seem very glamorous to always be busy but those days that you're working that hard I mean they're exhausting (laughs) I mean it sounds like so common sense but when you actually live through a day like that you're like why am I doing this to myself (laughs) but it goes back to what you were saying earlier your why was solidified yes your why was solidified and so that is so so huge so what is your advice as we are closing down to young women who are seeking a career in this third sector in the nonprofit world I would say just do a lot of introspection and really, um, you know, focus on, on personal growth and everything else will fall into place. You know, as soon as you know what it is you want to do and the impact you want to leave on the world, because we all will leave an impact one way or another. That's right. You know, and so through the process of introspection, I think you really learn the, you learn the ability to control that outcome. So, yeah, just take time for yourself and, and learn yourself. <laughs> I love it. How can ladies get in contact with you, learn more about your podcast, your writings, and Third Suite? Um, Yeah, so everything's pretty much on Instagram and Facebook. We are at Third Suite. And on our website, www.thirdsuite.com. And um, that's where we have all the show notes, all the podcast episodes are up there. And if anyone ever wants to reach out, I'm always happy to chat with anyone. So it's uh, Sheila at thirdsuite.com. Sheila, <laughs> thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much. This is so much fun. It was. I listen, <laughs> ladies. I hope that you have enjoyed my conversation with Sheila as much as I have. So let me just be honest. I didn't want to mess up her last name, so I'm gonna let her tell you her last name because <laughs> we practiced it. And yeah, I'm just being super honest and transparent. <laughs> figured I was just going to jack it up. Sheila, <laughs> share with them your whole name. Sure. It's <laughs> Sheila Nimishakabi. There we go. Nimishakabi. <laughs> oh, I got it after she said it, yes. but that wouldn't have okay. happened probably in the beginning. So. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You got it. You're good. 
Well, ladies, again, thank you so much for joining. I hope for those of you who are interested in nonprofit that you'll reach out, you'll listen to her podcast, and you'll read her writings there at Nonprofit Quarterly. She talks about criminal justice to education and everything in between. And as you know, we are in the process of accepting donations for our second annual mother-to-be celebration. So if you would help, would like to help us bless a mom in need, head over to lifeofchelsea.com. You can click foundation and learn more ways to donate to help us really bless these moms, bless their socks off. So again, thanks for joining us for this episode. Have a great week. So there you have it. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. For more information about Chats with Chelsea and to hear interviews from all of the amazing women Chelsea has interviewed in the past, simply visit www.thirdsuite.com forward slash 17 and you'll find links to the video for this interview as well as links to her website where you'll find all of the amazing interviews that she's done so far. Thanks so much for tuning in. I really hope you have a fantastic day and I will talk to you next week.